and amen. Wow, you sound great today. Don't you all sound great? And choir, thank you so much. Uh, and the orchestra, it's just amazing. The worship that's taking place across uh, the life of our church and even today. I was able to go, I was in the Great Hall for just a moment. Uh, we had a parental dedication, but I was also able to say hi to uh, Pastor uh, Ricardo Brambilia, who is with his church family now over in the chapel today. Many of you know, Premier Iglesia Baptista Mexicana is now worshiping in our chapel every Sunday morning for the uh, foreseeable future. And we're so thankful to welcome them as we did last week. And now today they're in a new rhythm. So be praying for them. And as you see, uh, folks that you may not recognize, uh, please, as you always do, let's just greet and welcome everyone who comes. I know that many of you are new today. I've met some of you first timers and we hope you've already felt welcome. Now today is, uh, if you're not used to going to church a whole lot or maybe don't know the scripture so well, we're actually in the book of Revelation. So you can turn there and, uh, and find Revelation. We're going to end up at Revelation 12 ultimately. But um, the book of Revelation, we've said, sounds a lot like a fairy tale come true. We've said that God's people, are the church, are described as kind of a damsel in distress. Last week we looked at Revelation 4 and 5 and we saw Christ exalted. He, he, he is the Lion of Judah, but he looks like the Lamb who was slain before the foundation of the world. So it's kind of a, which is he? He's a Lion or a Lamb? He's a Lion and a Lamb. He is the Lion and the Lamb. And everyone who sees him, all of creation who come into his presence, they can only do one thing. All they can do is bow down and worship him and throw anything, their crowns, anything they've been given by God himself at his feet. And this is what we do on Sunday mornings when we come before him in his word, when we come before him in prayer, to be reminded again of who he is. And so just like any epic story, when the hero is exalted, along comes then the antagonist, a kind of villain who shows up, who seeks to usurp his power, even to take him down. Like in most fairy tales, this villain has some kind of secret weapon. And today we're going to look at the weapons that the evil one wields. Often this, this, uh, this evil one, this villain, comes with a clever disguise. We're going to see that today as well. I mean, consider uh, the wolf in Little Red Riding Hood, for instance. Or maybe it's the witch in Hansel and Gretel, or the white witch in the lion witch in the wardrobe. Maybe it's, it's Prince Hans in Frozen. Is he a prince or is he a frog? Is, is, is she a princess or is she a witch? What's going on here? We don't always know. And then the worst of all, the worst enemy of all is the one that you do not believe exists. That's the one that will take you down. And I believe that is the tactic of the evil one in our day. We're far too smart, way too educated to approach the scriptures and to see this symbolic, fantastical language and think that it really applies to us. Today we're going to see who the evil one is. In Revelation 12 and 13, we're going to see the greatest deceiver of all time. And what I want us to do in this message is to look and expose the special weapons that he has. So that we won't be burned, we won't be seduced, and we won't be tricked by him. So, let's jump in and see the dragon on a rampage. We're looking at Satan, we're going to be looking at the beast, the Antichrist, a couple of beasts here today. And uh, we're ultimately going to get to the infamous mark of the beast. 
to 666. So again, if you're a guest, you've come on a good day. Uh, this is, this is going to be fun. And I'm going to solve all of this, by the way, today. Um, you don't, won't need to hear another message on this the rest of your life. Um, I, that's a joke. I want to explain again, though, as we approach this particular kind of genre that is so important. We approach it. Um, oftentimes people say, you know, to have a high view of Scripture is to approach Scripture literally. Now, that's most often true. When you look at the teachings of the Old Testament, gosh, history, when you look at the teaching of Jesus, you look at the history in the book of Acts, clearly you look at Paul's teaching and you say, this is literal. He means what he says here. That's generally the case. If you approach Revelation this way, you do not have a high view of Scripture because you're not taking it seriously. You're not looking at the, the you're disregarding the, the genre, the historical context, the imagery that's actually designed to point us to other realities. I said it last week. Numbers aren't numbers in Revelation. They relate to something else. They point to something else. And what we'll discover today, again, if we have a high view of Scripture, we recognize that the imagery, most of the symbols in Revelation have already been defined for us. And if you're an, if you're an artist uh, like me, or you think visually, if you were to draw some of the beasts, we're going to see the dragon with seven heads, and then they've got, they got eyes all over them. I mean, that is some crazy looking stuff, and people have sought to do that. Here's what he looks like, as if to solve it all for us. That's not the point. All of these things point to greater realities. It's as if God gives us, no, he gives John a revelation a portal into heaven and says, do you want to see what's going on in the spiritual realm? Let me show you. But I've got to use symbols and imagery because it's the only way that I can come down to where you are so you can see what's happening. You need to be reminded today. There's more happening in the spiritual realm uh, that we cannot see than what we can see. There's greater reality in the spiritual realm than what we can see on a daily basis. If you miss that, you miss the point of what's happening in our world. You see, when you travel to other parts of the world, we have uh, dear friends, partners, missionaries from, from Africa with us today. When you go to places like Africa, when you go to India, when you go to places like South America, what happens is you realize when we talk about spiritual forces at work, demonic oppression, the, the presence of Satan, when, when you talk about this with other believers around the world, or even non-believers for that matter often, it helps, the, it, they say, exactly. That's, that's why this world makes sense, because those things are going on. But here in the global West, we say, no, nah, you know, I'm, I went to college. I, mean, I, I got a doctorate. I'm good. I mean, I'm, I'm real, I, I don't know about this stuff. Or the devil dressed in red with a pitchfork. Okay, I, I can't handle that. Well, that's because you have a false view of the devil. Nowhere in Scripture is he described that way. Unless we get close to it today, he is a red dragon. And we're going to see that today, but all that points to other things, colors and all these things. As we'll see, Revelation 12 is the central passage and key to understanding the book of Revelation. In fact, I think it's the key, like other passages, but it is a key passage to understand all of redemptive history. And so again, a reminder, let's look at this uh, from, 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 I believe, the way God has, 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 has called us to look at it with imagery and symbol and we'll, we'll see how this plays out. So today I want to talk about how to slay a dragon. How about that? Um, not how to tame a dragon, 
but how to slay a dragon. I want us to see how we can defend ourselves against the three biggest attacks of the evil one. If you take notes on sermons, I want us to see what his tactics are. The first one, I want you to see, don't be burned by the dragon. Now, we move to next level fantasy here, or fantastical language, cosmic battle going on between the forces of good and evil. And what I want to do is to ask the questions here initially, who are the main characters in this story? Let's dive in. Verse 1. And a great sign, okay, that's a, that's a clue, symbol, a clue that represents something else, appeared in heaven, a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon under her feet, and with her head a crown of 12 stars. She was pregnant, and she was crying out in birth pangs, and the agony of giving birth. All right, first question, who is the woman? Well, she's described in the same way. Again, if you want a high view of Scripture, Scripture interprets Scripture. And so in the same way, Joseph describes his dream in Genesis 37. Again, I'm not looking at a crystal ball in my study this week. I'm not looking at the newspaper, by the way, today. I'm not just kind of wondering what's happening. Who is this? Who's, who is the being described here? I look at Scripture. We all do. And what happens in Genesis 37 Joseph comes to his dad, Jacob, and he, said, and he describes what he sees, and it's essentially this. And what he sees is this sun, moon, crown, 12 stars, the 12 stars, and his dad interprets it for us. Jacob says, hold on, you mean me, your mom, your brothers are all going to worship you? This is the interpretation of it. The 12 sons of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel, this is God's people. The woman represents God's people. Now we know that Mary came along literally and gave birth to the Messiah, right? Gave birth to Jesus. But in a real sense, all of Israel, all of God's people, from the seed in Genesis 3 all the way through the Old Testament, when we look at the genealogy of Jesus, if you will, the woman represents the people of God throughout all of history. Okay, so this would be all the Old Testament pointing to, to Jesus. And the labor pangs are those trials and difficulties that the people of God faced, Israel primarily, faced through, throughout all of the Old Testament up to the Messiah. Now look at verse 3. And another sign appeared. So another something, symbol, that's going to point to something else. Appeared in heaven. Behold, a great red dragon. Now think uh, sea beast. I don't know, you know, dragons maybe from our, our Disney Pixar films, but a sea beast, it seems, with, with seven heads and ten horns, and on his head seven diadems, seven crowns. His, his tail swept down uh, a third of the stars of heaven and cast them to the earth, and the dragon stood before the woman who was about to give birth so that when she bore her child, he might devour it. So who is the dragon? Well, he's got seven heads. He's, this is that number of completeness, wholeness. He is great in power. He's this mega power. We see this word great over and over again. That this is a mega story. And his horns, they're symbols of strength, seven crowns. So he's given crowns, always represented something that's given. He's allowed to have some power. He's ready to destroy the male child when it's born. And we don't need to guess who this one is. Because he explicitly says who it is in verse 9, if you look there. He is the ancient serpent, Satan. He's the devil. And he's attempting to destroy the people of God and the Messiah. So that he cannot burn, uh, you know, burn, be born or, or can't be defeated. Now this takes place all the way through, throughout all of, of history. 
Think about this. Why was Saul after David? He's just a madman. No, because through David was the seed that would come ultimately the Messiah. We know this literally happened when Jesus was born. Remember the Christmas story? Herod's trying to kill all the babies. And again, we can say, that's just nuts. No, it's the evil one seeking to destroy and stop the woman from giving birth. Look at verse 5. She gave birth to a male child, one who is the rule to rule all the nations. Now, this only describes one person with, an, with a rod of iron. That's the strongest of all metals, the greatest strength of all. But her child was caught up to God and to his throne, and the woman fled into the wilderness where she has a place prepared by God in which she is to be nourished for 1,260 days. Now, that's 42 months. That's three and a half years. So the people of God, and by the way, I think a long period of time, God allows her to go to a place of protection. Her, she, us, the church, finds this place of protection even during the church age, I believe. Again, others would, would challenge me on that while the reign of Christ, the Antichrist, is at work. Jesus came to usher in the kingdom, and yet Satan is the prince of the earth. He continues, as we'll see, to try to take God's people down. The male child's been born. Who is this male child? Well, clearly, it's Jesus Christ, the victorious ruler. Jesus has come to usher in his kingdom, to rule and to reign and protect his people from the dragon's attacks. He's doing so today. We have victory over sin. He has succeeded in his mission. He's already won the battle. He is betrayed, he's crucified, and he's murdered. But then look at this. He's caught up the resurrection and the ascension. Jesus is victorious in a way the dragon could never have expected. The dragon has been defeated. And meanwhile, a war erupts in heaven simultaneous to Jesus' resurrection. Are you starting to see this is the gospel narrative? And you say, well, why is he telling it like this? It's fantastical uh, imagery. I think it's over the top uh, a symbolic way to say all that God has done and is doing, and yes, is going to do in a way that just captures our imagination. Think about this. John didn't have motion pictures. He never saw a movie in his life. He never saw a photograph in his life. Then God gives him this vision as if he's watching IMAX 3D, and he's going, what is going on here? He's watching the story, then he's trying to describe it to us revelation of Jesus Christ to John, and now he brings it to us. Look at this. Sparked by the resurrection, we see Michael, verse 7, the archangel in Jewish literature, always the defender of God's people, by the way, leading the charge, waging war against Satan. Look at verse 7. Now war arose in heaven, and Michael and his angels fighting against the dragon. And the dragon and his angels fought back but he was defeated and there was no longer any place for them in heaven. And the great dragon was thrown down, the ancient serpent, who is called the devil and Satan. There it is explicitly. Watch this. The deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to earth and his angels were thrown down with him. Now some say, well, this is long before creation. This is when he's cast down. I think this is an image. This thrown down means he, is, he was and is defeated. That's what this means. Don't miss this. Satan has been defeated. We are on the victorious side, right? Leaders, politicians, we'll talk about you on the right side of history. Jesus is the right side of history. Amen? Satan has lost, 
And yet he continues to fight. It's all he can do. He's still given, he's given some power. But look at this, the dragon, I want you to notice this. Here it is, his weapons of choice. This is it, don't miss this. The dragon is the accuser and deceiver. This image is one of, of Satan standing before the throne of God. Now capture this. More than a war being waged, now we enter into this cosmic courtroom. Satan is the prosecutor. Think about this. The easiest pathway to an impotent Christian is for Satan to come after you, to cause doubt in your heart and mind, and for you to question the finished work of Jesus Christ. You've been doing it this week. You forgot who you were off on Tuesday morning. You forgot who you were Wednesday night when you had that spat with your friend or spouse. You forgot who you were when you were trying to define yourself by your own good works. You forgot who Jesus is. He finished the work for you. You forgot who you were when you were seeking some approval from other people. How many likes you got on social media or whatever else when you're saying, I'm not enough, I'm not enough. That's the accuser coming at you. Because you've already been won by Jesus Christ his easiest way to you is to bring about shame in your sin and to make you question who you are. You're a resilient identity in him, fully loved, totally accepted, completely forgiven by him. Satan is the accuser and he's the deceiver. It's almost like a snake whose, whose head has been cut off and he's still flopping around. He's still alive. He's still moving, but he's much more strategic than that. He's the master strategist. He's not aimless. He's saying that God is unjust. Here's what's going on. He's saying God is unjust and unrighteous because he's not punishing sinners or, or claiming that they're, 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 declared, uh, they're declared clean or forgiven because of their works. Satan comes after God. He's, he, all he knows is religious legalism. So it's antithetical to the gospel. He's the accuser. But watch out. He's the deceiver. There's a little bit of truth. It is true. God has called us to holiness and to righteousness. But again, picture a legal courtroom. Satan, the prosecutor, he, he's accusing God of being unjust, and he's pointing to us. So Satan is attacking God's people, and he's seeking to deceive us, trying to manipulate God himself by destroying his people. That is until the resurrection. This is the cosmic battle. Until the resurrection, then Satan stands there. Christ dramatically shows up in the courtroom. And, and, and what happens there is he enters in new, he enters new evidence, which we didn't have before. Jesus comes in, he says, Exhibit A, his head. Exhibit B, his hands. Exhibit C, his feet. Exhibit D, his side. How about this? Exhibit E, the empty tomb. Satan's accusing us as not having a way to God. So the defense counsel who's interceding now on our behalf shows up. Jesus now, our defense, our righteousness, points out Satan has a frivolous lawsuit. Michael comes in like a bailiff and he throws him out of the court. That's where you're supposed to say amen because that is amazing stuff. This is what's happened, friends. He's saying we've already won the victory. And, and we can live victoriously. And so, in Romans 8, verse 1, you can see it there. I want us to say this together. Satan is trying to accuse you always. And friends, listen. Self-condemnation needs to end in your life. When you're thinking, I'm not enough. I'm not good enough. 
I blew it again. We enter into shame because we will fail. We will sin. And we enter into shame instead of godly repentance. That's the evil one. That's deceit. That's the accuser. And we all experience it. So I want us to say this together with great confidence. Romans 8.1 There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Amen. So the fire of the dragon is his deceit and his accusations. But now we're no longer burned by it. There might be smoke, but there is no fire. You don't live your life feeling like God doesn't love you. You don't fall into great shame when you sin against him. You turn in repentance knowing he receives you with great love. Look at how this reality is described. Look at verse uh, 10. And I heard this reality where we now find ourselves. And I heard a loud voice in heaven saying, Now the salvation and the power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ have come. For the accuser of our brothers has been thrown down who accuses them day and night. This is the work of Satan before our God. And they have conquered him by the blood of the lamb and by the word of their testimony. For they love not their lives even unto death. So though we can still feel the heat, we're no longer burned. We live victoriously and confidently as we face the challenges of our lives. Satan is still taken out in his frustration because he is defeated. So how can we live in this reality? How do you slay a dragon? Now, ultimately, Jesus is the one who slays the dragon. But look at two things here that conquered the dragon. First, the blood of the lamb. What is this? This is the gospel. This is what Christ has already accomplished. The finished work of Jesus it allows us to stand victoriously, eternally victorious with him. And then the second is the word of their testimony. The word of our testimony. I would say the word of your testimony. What is this? It's the confession of what you believe. If you are in him, if you believe that Christ has taken on your sin, he's died on the cross for you, you're completely forgiven, totally accepted by him. The word of your testimony is saying, yes, I believe. I believe and I'm living in that. And so those who are here on earth continue to be challenged. Those in heaven rejoice, but we still battle with him. And so... In Ephesians 6, Paul says this, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith. Notice it's faith, not our works, not our you know, religious prowess or our own power. It's faith in the finished work of Jesus, what he's already accomplished. So we take it up with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one, the flames that come at us when you are faced with temptation and, and deception of, of Satan. Temptation to lust or greed, pride, jealousy, revenge, or fear. You reject those things in favor of faith in God who holds history and your life in His hands. When we have doubts, we hold up the shield of faith. We say, no, 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 no. And again, when we sin, and we will fall, when we do, we don't wallow in shame. We rise up with the shield of faith say, no, I believe that God in Christ has already forgiven me. I'll, I'll receive it. I'll confess my sin, but I have been forgiven, and I'm going to live forgiven, and I'm going to live victoriously. And so we, we, we're, we're accepted by the throne at all times because Jesus, our defender, has become the intercessor. He has replaced the accuser. And now we have the intercessor, Jesus, who fights on our behalf. Isn't this good news today? 
Revelation 12, 17, look at this. Then the dragon became furious with the woman and went off to make war on the rest of her offspring and those who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. So we have the woman, the child, and the dragon. But watch this. She's not alone. As often as the case, the evil one, the villain, has their minions coming along with them. And watch this. This is amazing. Two beasts we're going to see. We'll only have time for two beasts today directly connected with the dragon. Uh, they, they, they form three. You're going you're to see this. They form an unholy trinity. Now watch this. Of course, we know the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. So don't get burned by the dragon, but watch this. Don't be seduced by the beast. Don't be seduced by the beast. I want you to see uh, in, in chapter 13, verse 1. And I saw a beast rising out of the sea with the ten horns and seven heads with ten diadems on its horns and blasphemous names on its head. And the beast that I saw was like a leopard, its feet like bears, and its mouth like a lion's mouth. And, and to it, the dragon gave his power and his throne and great authority, one on his head. And he had a mortal wound, but, but he was healed. And the whole world, world marveled and, and watched this so that they would worship the dragon. I want you to see this. What is all this language here? What, the beast is the false messiah. This is what, what, what many would call it, is the Antichrist. This is the, this is the false messiah, the doppelganger of the Son of God. Look at this. He is the image of the dragon as Jesus is the image of the Father. He has ten horns and seven heads like the dragon. He, he is given authority just as Jesus is given authority from the Father. Did you catch that? He, he's, he, he, he's on a throne just like Jesus is on his throne of power. Again, literally, no, it's the throne of authority, and, and he, he's, he has some authority. He's given some power. He has blasphemous names on, his, on him, and Jesus has the name of God on him. He has many crowns, like Christ has many crowns. He, is, he rules over God's enemies while Jesus rules over God's people. He's mocking Christ's rule of creation. And then there's a nod to Daniel's vision in chapter Seven, uh, verse two through seven, where he actually describes this, and the beast makes war. And Revelation four and five, we saw last week that the people of God worship Jesus. These unbelievers are worshiping the pseudo Messiah, and so it, it really represents all unbelievers worshiping this false god. He 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 he's given a title that's counterfeit Messiah. We find in in chapter seventeen, verse eight and eleven. He's called He was and is not and is to come. Jesus is called the one who is and who was and who is to come. Look at this. He mocks the saving work of Jesus, this mortal wound, and then he's healed somehow. Fake death and resurrection. This is a false pseudo-Messiah, the evil one, a deceiver, a trickster. Don't be burned. Don't be seduced by the beast. So what's the point here? What is this? He's a false messiah who seeks to imitate the real thing by acting like it, close to it, but not quite. In every era, people have sought to define who this is, to personify it in a person. Now, could this be the case? Listen, any anti-Christ can be described as this. Someone who's against Christ, particularly those in power. There's this sense of of this kind, political leaders come to mind immediately because what's described here is institutional sin and corruption through leaders who, who go this route and seek power and other people who follow after. I mean, first it was the Pope, you know, right after, uh, after Jesus' time. And I guess it's been ever since different times. There's Nero Caesar, 
they thought was the Antichrist, or during the Reformation, um, you know, pointing to the Pope as, as the Antichrist. Hitler was one, right? Or any U.S. president that's ever come along that you didn't vote for, right, was, is the Antichrist. So political leaders come to mind immediately because it is talking about, what, how about this, systemic um, sin. We think of communism. We think of systemic racism in, in our, our world today. If those are who might lead out or less apparent, even church sexual abuse within the church. Or, 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 or we think of, of capitalism without morality that can devastate people. And so what's described here is sin gone mad. The seductive sin of power and control. So look, how do we fight this beast? Look at the end for the sake of time. Verse 10. It's the call to endurance and faith of the saints. We're, just, we're to be persevering. But I want, you to sh- I want you to see one more way that this beast uh, is like Jesus. He sends a second beast, just like Jesus sends the Spirit. Jesus promises the Spirit. Here comes a second beast. So the third and final point, don't be tricked by the beast of the earth. Now look at chapter 3, verse 11. Then I saw another beast rising out of the earth. It had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon. So wow, hearkening back to the dragon. Watch this. The dragon, the father, we have, well, wait, we saw the first beast, the, the son. Now the third beast is a pseudo spirit. It's a false trinity. This is what we're seeing here each one acting like the other. It had two horns and uh, like the lamb, so it is like Jesus and spoke like a dragon. It exercised all the authority of the first beast in its presence. And as it's described, it goes out into the earth, okay? It's, it, it even brings fire down from heaven in verse 13. Uh, remember Acts, the book of Acts, right? Chapter 2. He, he deceives And yet he gives breath. Look at verse 15. He gives breath to the image of the beast so that the one that was mortally wounded actually has life. Also, it causes all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, uh uh-oh, to be marked on the right hand and the head. So watch this. This beast is the false Holy Spirit. Look at this. He mocks the Holy Spirit as the dragon mocks the father and the beast of the sea mocks the son. He, he breathes life into the mortally wounded first beast, verse 15, mocking the spirit, raising up Jesus in power. He, he, he does many signs and wonders pretending to be the spirit. What false spirits guide us today? Again, it's, it's worldly power. Or how about this? Something that looks a lot like the real thing, but it's not. A worldly religion a works-based Christianity, a self-salvation project, prosperity gospel. It's Christ, God's in the mix, and you come to Jesus and He's the one. If you do enough, He'll bless you. If you give enough, He'll bless you. A false gospel. Close to the real thing, not the real thing. It's a work harder, try better, get, get better, work harder kind of Christianity. A works-based religion that bears the name of Christ. False gospel. It's anything where we bring Jesus plus. Jesus plus my own intellect. Jesus plus my own power, my own education, insight, the power of financial acumen. What, what is all this? 
What is, what is all this to land this? Don't be tricked or deceived by a form of power and a promise that is actually self-destructive. The evil one is a deceiver. He's a, he's a trickster. And so how do we fight against him? How do we combat him? Again, I run to Ephesians 6. We read it earlier. God's Word tells us, put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil, the belt of truth, breastplate of righteousness, sword of the Spirit, sandals of the gospel of peace, shield of faith, helmet of salvation. Paul summarizes, watch this, this cosmic battle that we've been looking at, he summarizes it this way. Chapter 6, verse 12 of Ephesians. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, against the authorities, against the cosmic powers of this present darkness against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. Doesn't that summarize what we've been talking about of Revelation 12 and 13? Now then, look at this. Chapter 13, 16. We come to the infamous mark of the beast. 666. So, watch this. He, the false Holy Spirit, places the mark on God's enemies. That would be any unbelieving person. What is the mark? It's a mocking of God the Father and the Son, of God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So look at this. Just as the Spirit, don't miss this, seals our salvation. Look at Ephesians 1. In Him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in Him, you were sealed. You were marked with the seal, with the promise of the Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of His glory. Look at Ephesians 4, verse 30. Do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God, by whom you were sealed, literally, marked with a seal for the day of redemption. This idea of being marked goes all the way back to the Shema. In Deuteronomy 6, you're to put it on your hand, right hand, and you're to put it on your forehead. Watch this. We come to the mark, verse 18. It's put on your hand. It's put on your forehead. And watch, it's 666. Almost 777. Three sixes. 777 would be the Trinity. God the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Every believer is marked by God, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. What we see, three sixes, because it's an unholy trinity. It's close to the real thing, but almost, but not, but eternally wrong. For those who've never received Christ, there is a way that seems right to a man. Proverbs 14 and 12, but in the end, it leads to death. The intriguing thing about that verse is not that it leads to death, but that it seems so right. Friends, I'm challenging us to lay our lives before the Father today. Lay your life before the Son who's completed His work. Lay your life before the Spirit who fills you up. Let me ask you, where have you placed your hope? And if you're here today and you've never received Christ, friends, listen, this is, this is the darkest story you can possibly hear. For all eternity is separated from God. So what are our weapons? They're the same as His. What are they? Selfless love forgiveness, compassion, and grace. That's why G.K. Chesterton said this, fairy tales do not tell children that dragons exist. Children already know that dragons exist. Fairy tales tell children that dragons can be killed. And that's why we have the book of Revelation. Praise Him. 
Jesus has slayed the dragon. So friends, live victoriously in him. All that is left is for you to give your life to him. And so now I want us to pray together as we close. And I want you to come before the Lord right now. The most important moment of your week, perhaps. What are you going to do with this? What are you going to do with the truth that we've heard today? Friends, there is a spiritual battle going on in your life. Don't miss that. It's why you have been struggling this week. We live in a fallen world. It's why you've had doubt. It's why you have been selfish before your friend or spouse or your parents. It's why you have lost your temper. It's why you don't have hope. It's why some of us are physically sick. It's part of living in this fallen world. And yet we, in Christ, have won the victory with Him. He's won it for us. So give Him your life. What do you need to say to Him right now? Lord, I pray that You would lead each of us to now give our hearts to You and we'd encourage each other in the Lord through our relationships, our words together, and even in song, that we would be strong in the Lord, the strength of Your might. We have nothing to fear because You have won the victory. We praise You in Jesus' name. Amen.